0: It's supposed to be really pleasant and really unsettling at once.
1: That's Hayden Samick, otherwise known as Deadfellow. Find out the context behind that coming up. Welcome back to another episode of Stage Presence. Hi, I'm Josh Pineda, the curating editor at Beat. In each episode, I'll be talking with music-minded people that make up indie and alternative culture. Join me as I piece together the cultural context behind innovative artistry and discover your next favorite artist along the way. How's it going, my friends? I'm Josh Pineda, your host for the hour. Welcome to episode 12 of Stage Presence. This show is with Philadelphia-based artist Deadfellow. In it, we talk a lot about living in the age of social media, and there's a lot of sardonic commentary from both Hayden and I. It's a very fascinating episode, so let's get to the music. Weaving together folk rock with alternative production and a slight psych edge, Deadfellow has recently released a stellar debut EP, cheekily entitled love songs for the contemporary listener today i'm going to play for you the opening track called machine it has this dazed like quality that is simply fantastic um and of course some visceral guitar elements that i just love i'll let the music do the talking so here's dead fellow with machine take a listen Mm. captivating atmospherics that's dead fellow with machine if you like that there's plenty more on his album love songs for the contemporary listener of course as i mentioned dead fellow is hayden samick's solo project based out of philadelphia pennsylvania the ep showcases hayden's incredibly gritty and witty songwriting as well as his gravelly yet warm vocals reminiscent of the likes of Nick Cave, The War on Drugs, and, as some have pointed out, Leonard Cohen and Neil Young. To put it simply, the many modern references combined with the way he turns a phrase is all quite invigorating. Veering at points haunting and melancholic, his dynamic sound aesthetic is raw, yet thoughtfully composed for a visceral commentary on the awfulness of being a millennial in search of love. To paraphrase his own wry words, Scratchy pedal effects and atmospherics set the scene for his enticing storytelling, making any listener a devout fan, especially in this day and age when we need more informed and cerebral art. Today, we talk with Hayden himself to get the context behind Dead Fellow's artistry. I started our conversation by asking him how his then recent show went.
0: Uh, the show was good, man. show was good. The, uh, played at Coda, it's a venue in Philadelphia, and, uh, it was a it was a Hook Presents event. That's my it's uh, my friend Emily's publication It's called the Hook Journal. It's mm-hmm. so, uh it's a like, kind of like an indie music online magazine down in uh Philadelphia. And uh, yeah, she asked me to uh to be on the bill, so I said yeah.
1: That's awesome, It You're uh, used to playing around Philadelphia, is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I haven't been doing like a, you know a ton of shows around here. Right now, because we got some stuff in the works that I'm not really supposed to... I can talk about it, but, you know, I'm not really supposed to be booking a bunch of shows right Mm -hmm. this second. We want to get everything a little more nailed down before we start running into it, you know what I mean?
1: Right, sort of the writing and developing process of of the next EP, which I do want to talk about as we move forward. Uh, But uh, I like to uh, cover sort of the context behind everything firsthand. So I usually start off lightly. Um, What are you currently listening to?
0: You know, I just started, uh, I really like this band called Hop Along. Not that it's really the cu- kind of music that I'm making, but, um, you know, uh, F- Frances Quinlan is the lead singer of this band, and she's just fantastic.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I, it's always interesting to find sort of a way that artists uh, absorb music that's not sort of in their genre or in their wheelhouse. I always find that interesting and how that sort of creeps
0: into sound. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's like very freak folk, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. yeah, it's cool.
1: Yeah, and you can uh sort of you're very innovative in the folk that you do. It's sort of as I mentioned in my uh review, it's very alternative leaning, some psych tendencies. so you're sort of all encompassing in that fashion as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the first DP is uh and we'll get into it later, but yeah, I could definitely see uh see that in the first DP and there's definitely some sort of intent there.
1: Nice, nice. Uh, well, yes, let's talk about that in a bit. But I first want to start off, um, I asked all our artists, how did you get started with music in general?
0: The uh, I guess like the first, uh, the, my dad would play uh, Neil Young a lot. Like, um, like the first song that I knew all the words to was uh, Cowgirl in the Sand when I was like, I I remember being in like preschool and like trying to teach people like this, the words to it. And then, uh, you know, I I really didn't do anything musically up until, uh, seriously, you know, once I was, you know, up until 2012, I really didn't do anything. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I really got into music in like 2012. Uh, I decided that I was going to start writing songs and I don't even really remember why I did it. Um, and yeah, man, yeah, you know, I just like, you know, I started out like in a little way, like a lot of people start out, um, you know, I was just playing a bunch of open mics and uh, imitating Bob Dylan, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I would I would like sing with this like awful like fucking like haranguing sort of like Dylan esque caricature of a uh, of a voice and I'd structure a lot of my songs like that and I still kind of do structure a lot of songs like that and then um, I realized that that was pretty dumb towards the end of 2012. And then I didn't really play music again until, you know, uh, the end of uh, 2014 or early 2015. And then I kind of decided that I was going to really go at it again. And I just, you know, I was talking to uh, this dude, Matt Muir, you know, who'd seen me play a couple open mics and was kind of like, hey, man, you should record, you should record. So I, so I did. And then um, you know I wrote uh, I, I I like you know been trying to get like these songs together for this you know EP you know I th- I thought that I would just do that and then you know I was kind of thinking about it. I was like well this just sounds like I got songs together for an EP you know so when I was like a month out of recording I just decided that I was going to write all the songs you know more or less at once and you know that's what I did and that's why I think the album's sort of comprehensive
1: so so would you say that the album came sort of organically in this time when you were re-emerging back into the scene
0: in a way yes in a way no like mm-hmm. i kind of like forced it to i i kind of forced it through this lens of like a short amount of time and also written as uh, a, a like an ep as a whole instead of songs to put on an ep if that makes sense mm-hmm. See, I, I feel like they came out organically for the project. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic debut EP. I want to ask you, is this sort of the first major project you work on? Have you been in other bands or other projects?
0: Uh, no, I don't really play well with others, I don't think. I, I, I've i tried to get a lot of projects going, uh, you know, before. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm just like a little... See, like my problem is like I'm a control freak who doesn't really know what the fuck he's talking about. So, I, uh, you know, I really have to, you know, kind of find the people, you know, who are willing to come and be patient and, mm-hmm. you know, help me sort out what I'm doing and how to do it better it's hard for me to write with other people. You know, that's why I, I really kind of thrive in the studio because I can bring the musicians that I want to bring in, in and you know, more or less like, you know, I kind of, I like to bring in people who are way overqualified to play with me. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Sort of get that experience and craft your sound around that. Um, so do you think that that's where sort of your songs flourish in the recording process, sort of getting that um, collaboration there in the instrumentals?
0: I think that's what it brings him a lot to the next level, you know. I write everything, um, you know, acoustically at first and you know if if it holds up like you know in that medium you know chances are it's gonna you know it's only gonna sort of get better Mm -hmm. you know I don't really go into it I I never really take songs you know that I'm not like crazy about and then go oh well in the studio it's gonna be bitching you know that'll be fine it doesn't matter if it doesn't work you know here if I want to take it into the studio it's gonna be like you know fucking everything is gonna come together suddenly and it's gonna be great because like it, it doesn't work like that it's how you get a lot of crappy songs mm-hmm. you know so i i uh i kind of i think they initially like flourish or whatever uh you know in my apartment and then you know i think utilizing the talents of other uh, musicians you know to sort of fill out this sort of vision that i have in my head you know i i can i can direct you know sort of you know it's kind of up to the other musicians how they interpret you know my direction Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, sort of taking that conducting aspect of music, if you sort of translate it from the classical realm into the the rock realm, I I totally can see how that works. And um, just in the first EP, you get that sense of sort of dynamic thrills and uh, orchestration in it, so I can definitely see.
0: Yeah,
1: cool. All right, yeah, so I want to talk a bit about how uh, you delved into these folk roots. Um, I kind of did some research. I found a few of your demos from early in your days and it, you kind of do have that dullness quality and sort of those standard folk roots in the singer songwriter sort of realm. So how did that sort of become an interest of yours in crafting your sound?
0: I don't know, man, because it's the easiest stuff to play. I'm not a very good musician, dude. You know, It comes right down to it. I'm, like, not a very good guitar player, you know. I'd like to think that I got a little bit better, you know, is guitar playing since then. But, you know, I'm also, you know, I'd like to think I got a little bit better at singing, but I'm not the best singer, you know what I mean? But, like, one thing that I can do is, uh, you know, I was, I was always pretty good at writing words, so I would kind of use that to compensate, now that I, uh, you know, when I first started playing, you know, everything was, like, super lyrically dense and the music was just, you know, sort of a medium to put it on. Now I th- I feel like I've developed a little bit more of a well-rounded package that's, you know, more, more interesting. Than, you know, that just comes from experience, you know?
1: Right, and I think you have that more robust sound in comparison to those early demos and this uh, latest EP. Um, you definitely have sort of that mix of instrumental and um storytelling in there that really work well so i think that's a testament to sort of your experience as you mentioned
0: yeah yeah that really shit sucks i gotta find out where that is and take it down (laughs) um all right so
1: um we talked a bit about the folk influences so i'm wondering what are some of your fondest musical memories
0: let me think okay so uh my first live show that i was ever at that was like i would be considered a local show I'm not gonna name any names or whatever, but um, it was an event at uh, a venue in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I was in; it was my first real show. I was in like eighth grade or whatever. I was really young, you know. Maybe uh, I guess how old are you in eighth grade? Like thirteen,
1: fourteen. Yeah, around there. Yeah.
0: It was an all-ages show. My friend's uh, guitar teacher was. Yeah, it was like a CD release for his thing. So we uh I go down in the city with my friend and his sister lives in uh lives like right above Love Park in like one of those like crazy high rises really just fucking cool you know so we go there we're going to spend the night there and like now like me and my friend have just been like unleashed into the city you know like you know 13 14 years old and we have like a big bag of weed and like we uh you know his sister's like very chilling and stuff so we go to this show and like you know i'm like 13 14 i'm not like really drinking or anything i'm like mm-hmm. pretty stoned because you know i'm just like you know we're back in this green room because it was my friend's guitar teacher i was drinking like a coca-cola I remember putting the Coca-Cola down and then picking it up and having a having a sip of it, and this hippie dude starts, like, laughing, you know, also in the green room, and we didn't know what was really, uh, you know, I didn't know what the hell he was laughing at. I'm like, I'm asking him, I go you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, what's going on, man? What's going on? And apparently they'd all been, uh, dosing as like liquid, uh, liquid LSD. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't think it was any like insane. It wasn't like they were filling up like shot glasses with this stuff. Apparently I picked up someone's drink who by that time, I'm sure it was like a very like diluted dose of like, you know, of LSD, but you know, I was really young, you know, I was really young, you know, I had never really done stuff before. I didn't like start like, I thought he was joking. And then, you know, I didn't, I wasn't like tripping out. It wasn't like a caricature of like a trip. It wasn't like you put like 10 hits in like my drink or something like that. But, you know, I definitely took someone's, uh you know, someone's cup and you know, it had enough. You know, sort of potency in it that, like, I spent like the next like eight hours, you know, kind of wigging out at uh, at the show and then at my uh, at my friend's sister's apartment in the shower, like thinking I was losing my mind so until <laughs> it wore off. And you know, in some way, it wasn't very fun at the time. But I mean, it's kind of one of those things. Like, it's like I'm in a lot of trouble. How like it wasn't. You know, it's very scary and worrisome at the time, but looking back on it, it's like kind of funny. You know, I just kind of see this uh, tweaking out, uh, you know, 13, 14 year old uh, at his first like live music show, digging the music and then, you know, afterwards, you know, freaking out in the shower. And just- <laughs> that's an awesome story. Uh, there's a lot of stories that I ask about that on, on my blog,
1: and that's sort of one of the best ones I've heard, so. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, you, know, you know, right? My grandma didn't give me a little guitar when I was little. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, it's not like one of those kind of things. Right. There's also, there's those two types of artists, either your route
1: or the, the grandma. So it's definitely uh, a testament to some of your, your wit, as I mentioned. Um, you talk about going into the city in that story. And I'm wondering, um, so you're based in Philadelphia. Can you tell us a bit about the music scene and, uh, and has it inspired sort of your creative process?
0: Uh yeah. You know, I uh I really like the music scene in Philadelphia for the most part. Um you know, there are a lot of really uh really incredible bands, you know, kind of going around right now. Um, you know, some of my favorites on like the local level are uh you know, I really like uh Sixteen Jackies. Um there's a band called Chifa that I really like. Um, you know, uh, have you heard of the districts? I haven't. The districts are awesome. You should check them out. Um, you know, obviously Kurt Vile, War on Drugs. Mm Um, who else do I like here, man? Oh, and then you got like some of the, uh, like the figureheads, you know, people who've been around and who are really like cemented in the scene. You got like Ben Arnold and, uh, you know, uh, people like that. He's one of my favorites. Um, you know, he, Ben Arno is a very cool dude and a uh, very important pillar in the musical community, in my opinion. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Then you have like, you know, XPN, right? So WXPN, 88, five, they, uh, they really inform the scene a lot. They're a non-commercial radio station um, who has, you know, really gives voice to a lot of really great artists who otherwise wouldn't be able to break through uh, very much.
1: And they recently featured you. Is that correct?
0: yeah they uh i was really grateful Um, you know they featured me as their song of the week their first one of 2017 and yeah i was really grateful for that opportunity i thought that was uh really fucking cool um, yeah it's definitely awesome you know but there are also like a fucking ton of hacks around you know what i mean like there are you know that's like I wouldn't say Philadelphia is like a caddy scene, like, you know, a lot of what I've heard about, like LA or Nashville or New York or something like that. It's a little bit more ground, you know, it's a little bit more grounded than like those cities that have like real reputations like that. But I mean, oh, there, there are a ton of people who just, you know, are charlatan. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, they think that, uh, I think that's the right word, charlatan. Um, anyway, I, people just think that they're above other people, man. They think that <laughs> you know their shit don't yeah. stink. They think that you know they're writing these. When in reality, they just have like these bizarre like social media campaigns that like get a little bit of traction, and they mistake that for uh, talent. Yeah, it's crazy. it's
1: crazy. Yeah, I totally get that, and I think that's sort of a widespread uh, spreading thing. Um uh and I want to talk a bit about social media if you don't mind. Um so before I get to that, uh it sort of sounds like Philadelphia has sort of it's more akin to like the Seattle scene than as you mentioned New York and LA, um a community driven scene. Um but I want to ask you about social media. So we another question we ask in our sort of standard questions is um what do you think about social media and how it influences the indie artists? Are you sort of pro it, against it, neutral? And how do you think uh, streaming music ties into that?
0: Well, I mean, you know, how could you really be pro or against social media? I mean, it's like a thing that exists and everybody's got to whether you like it or not. So, you know, if you mm-hmm. want to be against social media, like you're sticking your fucking head in the sand. You know what right. I mean? If you're pro social media and like, you know, you do it like a ton of it, a ton of it all the fucking time. Well, you got too much time on your hands. and You're probably not writing great songs. You know what I mean? Like, um. So I guess like my stance is, you know, it's here, it's not going anywhere. You know, if you don't want to do it, like that's a lot like, you know, only accepting things via, you know, your mailbox and setting up an email account, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think that social media is a good way, you know, to see and analyze your fan base and be like, okay, well, like, that's how many fucking people are paying attention, Rad. And, you know, I think it's a good way, you know, if you got something to say to say it, you know, you have an immediate response rate, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as far as whether what you said is interesting or not, like, for instance, so I just put up something on my social media to try and get people to follow me on Spotify. I pretty much just said, you know, follow me on Spotify uh, because, like, you know, I need to verify this page and it will help me do it. And literally three people in the last... Hour have found that interesting, so what that tells me is that that is not a super interesting you know thing for people you know it 's just like blind you know sort of promotion, like oh, here, like you know, help me with this thing people don 't want that shit dude people you know people don 't want to help you because you ask for help that 's like something that drives me uh, i 'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, man, do you care? No problem people all the goddamn time, come to my show, support my show, you know, support, support, you know, and it's just like, fuck that, dude, fuck support, man, either be good, or don't be good. You know, people, you know, I don't have like a crazy amount of people coming to my shows, right. Um, And that tells me that what I'm doing needs to be better, or what I'm, or I'm not promoting it, right, or something, you know, there's just like that thing there, that has to be a driving factor, you know, and you can chalk it up to your friends not supporting you if you want, you know, when you have a shitty show. But like, that's really not going to help you in like the long run. You know, that's what drives me crazy about all these like campaigns for like, accepting yourself for who you are. No way, man. Be better. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't like something about yourself, like fucking, you know, don't ask people to support you in sucking. Like, you know, just just fix it. Fix it. So like that's like something that drives me insane about social media is that, you know, people use these campaigns not to build awareness for their product, but to build sympathy for their product. And like, that's no way to sell something ever. You know, the whole like, please help me make my dreams come true. Help your fucking self, you know, make make them come true. Make your better, make your stuff better, you know? Right. And
1: I think that ties into sort of the indie artists. Like you have these artists who are on the grind trying to make great music. Yeah. And then you have the artists trying to get the fame. And I definitely think that you, uh, you touch a lot on that. And I think the, the sympathy aspect is, uh, an incredible thing you're going on. Um, and you mentioned friends. Yeah. Like you're, when you're a content creator or an artist or a musician, you can't rely on your sort of friend base as your support because again, it's sort of just looking towards sympathy. Yeah. Your friends are always going to support you in sort of like your your endeavors, but it doesn't mean that they're liking your content right. which is why you need to sort of work on creating better content. I think uh you definitely touch on that and I definitely agree that there there needs to be more of a focus on bettering yourself than looking for um a high five
0: yeah yeah well yeah, exactly you know if you you know if bringing your friends out to shows is a fine thing to do don't get me wrong you know I'm not telling you you know like uh don't invite your friends to shows and if you do you're like you know you're being like a loser it's not at all what I'm saying you know I invite all my friends out to my shows you know it's just the tonality of it or like you know putting your success or lack thereof on them on your friends not showing up you know that's like kind of crazy to me, you know. And right. of course, when you're first starting out, it's just gonna be your friends. But it's up to you to make moves after that. You can't subsist on like having your friends come out to every show, you know, and being successful that way because you don't have that many fucking friends. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. our streaming is concerned. Like, streaming is just something that's gonna have to. That uh, just happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, in my mind, I'm not concerned about. Uh, you know, selling my music online, really. If you go to my band camp right now, you can check it out. It's uh, deadfellowmusic.bandcamp.com. You know, you can buy the album on there, but you can also download it for free. You know, if you mm-hmm. feel like giving me your money, fucking great, please. I would love that. You know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your patronage. Like, that's absolutely wonderful. Like, blows my mind that people buy my music sometimes. And like it means it, it it means a ton to me. Really it does. Right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't expect you to buy it. You know, if you if I'd rather you have it for free, if you know, if you know, if it's either like you're either gonna pay five bucks or you're gonna have my music, I'd rather you have my music every fucking time. Mm-hmm. You know? The um you know, so but I embrace streaming, dude. Streaming is uh streaming is really good, you know, particularly at um you know, at this level, an example of that, you know, so I have this one song on Spotify right now called, uh, well, I mean, I have my whole album on there, but this one song of mine got added to this uh, Spotify playlist. And it got uh like in the last like three weeks or so, it's gotten uh, you know, t- like twenty seven thousand streams. Wow. Yeah. And the um you know, I mean, which in the grand scheme of things, you know, could be way the fuck better. But the uh but you know, I like as someone who's, you know, never been streamed like that, you know, I'm like very, very happy with that. Right. And ultimately, you know, although people love to say, Oh, you get like 0.5 cents, you know, or you get like, yeah, you get half a cent per stream or whatever. You know, you got to figure it, you know, 27,000 streams, you know, that comes to like what, like 135 bucks? Yeah, you know, which is like, now how many albums did I like, you know, EPs did I sell online when you could download them for free? I don't know, probably like, 120 dollars you know so i think people who are like hating on streaming unless you're someone who's like really streaming like in millions of plays and stuff i think ultimately you're like pissed off at a hypothetical situation that doesn't really apply to you you know what i mean it doesn't really like apply to me like how am i supposed to be pissed off about like this streaming thing when I'm like totally thrilled to get a $135 check from ASCAP over like these streaming plays on Spotify you know right. what I mean you know I think uh, I think streaming is necessary I think streaming is the future of music and I feel like if people don't want to subscribe to it then like they don't have to and they'll just kind of Darwinist Darwinism themselves out of you know musical existence
1: Right, and I think you kind of have the same point of view as a lot of indie artists. The independent scene is really appreciating this form because it does get people out there. It does get the fans, and it does get some sort of money flowing in, even if it's not, again, you're not earning a career on streaming, but it's at least something in comparison to nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, you know. And I I realize that I'm, like, probably sounding, like, pretty angry over, like, (laughs) works of, like, this podcast but like you just happen to hit on like three like very uh hot button topics right. for me like in sort of a row and uh i've been i've been talking to uh I, I work with this dude and we're uh we're talking about um publicists and stuff like that and when you hire um publishes their like three branches right you have like the the uh the triple a like for me right the triple a radio which is basically you know the adult adult alternative mm-hmm. uh, you know radio then you have um so that'd be like xpn kxp things like that then you have you know people whose job it is just as strategically like position you on playlists right right so that's like that's like a big streaming thing and then um you have someone who positions you for like blogs and social uh curation so um those are like the three things that we had just gotten done talking about and you like literally hit on all of them and, like, <laughs> session, so.
1: well i think that our listeners uh are accustomed to this um i i mean this, these are questions that i ask frequently and i'm um, Again, I'm sort of a, a part of the the music criticism scene where I kind of like this controversy and like talking about how to make a er- music better. So, I definitely don't think it's that angry. I think more more so you're touching on perspectives that artists do feel and I I think it's a very interesting and thoughtful responses. Yeah, well, thanks man. Um so yeah, I want to talk uh so we're going to get more lighthearted here uh, balancing this and just one last thing on social media I wanted to say that you kind of do hit that balance. Um, that you were talking about, I find that your social media voice is very authentic and you sort of do, uh, strike that balance, whether you're not over promoting and you're not oversharing, you're sort of right in you know, on the money.
0: Thank you, man. Thank you. You know, the, um, yeah, you know, I just can't stand like, you know, I'll tell you what I, what I try not to do. I fucking hate event invites. Like when I get them, I immediately ignore them. All of them, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's like one of my like really good friends, then I'll like be like, interested or going but the uh but yeah i hate event invites so i don't really set those things up ever and then um you know i hate like the miss america uh like speeches after every show you play like that drives me nuts you know (laughs) oh my gosh, thank you everyone, it was the best night of my life, thank you all for coming, like, if you really feel like that, you know, go out and, like, thank the people in, like, the audience, go out and, like, talk with your, your, like, friends afterwards, and, like, you know, hang out, and, like, thank everyone individually, in person, for coming, like, a normal person, hang out at, like, your merch booth, and, like, meet people, you know, Mm -hmm. like, That shit's the shit. Do that, you know, way better than a social media post. An authentic thank you or even, like, a text message or, like, you know, a follow-up call. Most of the people who are at your show are probably your friends. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if someone, like, you know, reaches out and engages with me, like, you know, via Facebook or something, you know, or, like, asks, like, a question or, you know, whatever – I, you know, nine times, you know, or, like, a lot of times, like, I'll hit them up, and I'll be like, hey, man, you know, I'll send them a message back, I'll be like, thank you for listening to, like, the music, like, where can I send you a copy of my album? You know what I mean? And I'll, like, send them, like, a free EP, and, you know, it's something that, like, really is not, like, a monetary hit for me, and, like, it's something that is, like, you know, that they like, you know? Right, and it
1: sort of builds your fan base in that way, where you're actually going to the fans, and I think you do that quite well, as I mentioned. You're just very about making good content and sharing it with uh whoever likes it. So I appreciate that in you. And you talk a bit about sort of uh not having this monetary sort of goal um in terms of you want your music to get out there instead of sort of just focusing on the money. Um But I also talk about a lot in this podcast about sort of the uh, other side of the indie artist, sort of having to support your, your art. So I'm wondering if you have any other professional interest in, besides making music?
0: Um, I mean, you know, everyone's got to do something to eat, you know, I mean, like at this level anyway, um, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. got to do something, uh, you know, so I, uh, I write, I write for, uh, I curate content, for uh, businesses and write blogs and stuff like that on like a freelance basis and build websites and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's what, or not like build web. I, well, yeah, I build websites, but you know, it's like, you know, I said, I, I set up businesses who don't have websites with like good, nice, solid websites and, you know, write all the content on them and get the pictures mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, I do, I do blogging for them and, uh, you know, just, things of that nature. And it's been, you know, it's been fine. You know, it's okay. I think I could grow the business bigger if I wanted to, but I don't really want to.
1: All right. So speaking about writing, I want to get into sort of the the albums and sort of what uh, this latest EP and what you're working on next. So sort of to start off that, uh, how would you describe your creative process?
0: how would I describe my creative process? You know, like that is like always something that has been like such a crazy thing to me when like, you know, I don't like wake up in the morning and like, you know, sip some chamomile tea and then sit down at the coffee table and stare out the window and like, you know, think of, you know, uh, sometimes I just, you know, I, I think like just intermittently during the day, you know, I'll like go over and I'll pick up the guitar and I'll play it a little bit. And then, you know, I'll play it for five minutes. And if nothing happens, and I'll put it down. And If like something happens, like I'll pick it back up. And, you know, I just kind of do that. I just kind of flirt with the guitar until like it wants me, I guess. And then, you know, and then, you know, if I can hit a home run, great, you know, but I'll probably pick it up, you know, damn near close to 100 times or so. And before I get a good song out of it, sometimes it's easier, you know, Mm-hmm. But, do you, do you find that, uh, sort
1: of that's how you unwind your songwriting with the, with the guitar playing?
0: Yeah, you know, I just like kind of like play guitar and then sort of like gibberish over it. And then, uh, you know, a lot of times if I think it's something that could be cool, um, like as soon, like before I even like start trying to sing over it, I'll like turn the recorder on and then I'll like literally just like say gibberish fucking words over it mm-hmm. and, you know, and then I'll listen back until, like, I hear a word that, like, sounds like another word, uh-huh. and then I start building it from there. It's, like, really, like, a nonlinear sort of, you know, thing. It's just, like, something that kind of happens, you know. And when I say gibberish, I mean, like, you know, I'm, like, you know, rolling around speaking in tongues. I mean, like, Right,
1: right. So, yeah, yeah, like, getting the melody out there and um, sort of finding that phrasing.
0: Yeah, yeah. To that end anyone who thinks that you like sit down on a rainy sunday morning at like a coffee table out the window and write a song about a rainy sunday morning drinking coffee looking out the window you're a crazy person that's not how that you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) like i mean i guess it can work but like i wouldn't want to hear it (laughs) you know right right and i think um that's
1: definitely the point like a lot of art is just made um in sort of the downtime and sort of, as you mentioned, flirting with frustrations and sort of getting just your ideas out there. Um And it's sort of just a medium to- towards an end, of an intellectual end. So I think you really touch on that. And I find it interesting that you sort of mention flirting with the guitar as you unwind a song. Um And sort of that gets us into the themes of your latest debut EP, Love Songs for the Contemporary Listener. Um, in a recent interview, you've said you wanted to give voice to the reality of love, especially for millennials. So can you talk a bit about that? How do you think love is different in this age?
0: You know, I think we're in like the Tinder era, like plain and simple. Like, you know, we're like picking each other a la carte. It's ridiculous. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we have too much information available on each other all the time. Where, uh, you know, I'm sure like I have like ex girl, like an ex-girlfriend who's like, you know, who will see this and be like, wow, what a like pretentious douche is he now? You know what I mean? Like, you Mm -hmm. know, like it's impossible to hide any capacity. But at the same time, it's like it's really, really easy to distort, you know, your reality with like these alternative facts. Right. You know, to, uh, to, you know, portray yourself. You know what, that's actually, that's exactly what the fuck this is. Um, You know, social media and, uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram and Tinder, you know, to a more real and physical extent, give you the ability to present your life in a series of alternative facts, Mm -hmm. you know, and that is like horrible. And that is horrible because similar to you know the american public being dealt these alternative facts right we don't know we can't, it's it's hard to you know articulate and define which things are real and which things are you know uh not if they're all being presented you know like uh there's this girl that i follow on instagram who's like a friend of mine or was a friend of mine in like high school and like her instagram is like always her in, like, Belize or, like, Uh you know, France or, like, you know, Bali or just, like, just crazy fucking places. And, and, you know, on the outside, it looks like her life is, like, you know, wow, this, like, beautiful adventure and she's, like, a travel blogger. Like, it's, like, really interesting and, like, And that's not at all what the fuck is happening. That girl grew up with like an obscene amount of money, like Ferrari money and like, you know and she's like just kind of using that to like sort of whip around all over the world and take pictures on Instagram as a justification you know what I mean?
1: Yeah definitely yeah.
0: Um, it's sort of building that
1: those new standards of personalities I mean I find myself looking at sort of bloggers and um, uh, the sort of models just um, and thinking like oh you have that sort of fear of missing out and then you're just like that, that's not real that's sort of uh, they're just building their memoirs just on, on a digital Digital platform so I definitely agree
0: no one's life could possibly be like that you know what I mean like for instance like you know if you look on my like social media feed like you know I am in like you know it's you, you think I was like in the studio or like just out surrounded by music and doing cool like shit all the time and like uh-huh. you know these like nice apartments and stuff you know I mean my apartments like cool like I like my apartment a lot but, you know, I have, like, a ton of fucking dishes in this sink that are, like, gross. And, like, I have dog hair everywhere in my life. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know? it's sort of, uh, you're sort of uh, manicuring your life for others to see you a certain way. And I like that uh, sort of epiphany you just had with sort of distorting reality with alternative facts. I mean, if someone just looks at my Instagram and sort of, I'm always at a concert or at a museum and uh, I'm always happy. Which is, which is always, it's not, it's not the case because it's just, um, again, if you just see the, when I post, it's like once every three months, because it, it is that sort of, you don't have that on a constant basis. You don't see the everyday reality of everyone, even though everyone thinks you do.
0: Yeah. You know, it's definitely, uh, yeah it's definitely a misnomer I mean, it's like my dog you know like there are pictures of my dog in uh, you know in like a lot of my social media, and um you know he looks adorable, but like he drools fucking everywhere <laughs> and then he you know pees on the floor like sometimes you know like it you know it's just like sorry come right uh, he's he chop like, <laughs> me look when I said that actually um the uh <laughs> You know, the reality is just so much different. And I think it's like skewering and like distorting and molesting and perverting, you know, millennial love. It's like crazy. Like, how could you love someone now? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. how could you? Like, because either you know too much about them or, you know, this completely delusional grandois vision of themselves that they have, you know? Right. And I mean, if you just extend that to Tinder, that's what you get.
1: You get five photos that you manicure um, and then you, you just go from there. So it's sort of hard uh, to build that sort of trust. Like, I feel like love would be easier in uh, without sort of this social media aspect because you don't have you have to work at it. So I think you definitely hit um, a point there.
0: Yeah, dude. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know, like back in the day, like, you know, you would like, you know, you would meet someone and then you would, you know, two weeks later you'd marry him and then two weeks after that you'd go to war. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, how, that's how it used to be, you know. Definitely. Um And uh, I think sort of those themes get
1: sort of touched on in the EP, in uh, a lot of your songs, sort of the feeling of this bittersweet tension between two people, the ambiguousness, but again, this sort of robust passion behind it. What sort of mindset were you in while you were writing and recording this?
0: What do I have in mind when I'm writing an album? Um So it's got to be like funny to me on like some like profound sort of like fucked up level so this first album you know love songs for the contemporary listener i i I thought that like you know immediately i thought that that was like kind of like a funny thing it Mm -hmm. kind of started as like sort of a joke uh all those songs are like you know pretty like tongue-in-cheek critiques of uh you know, some more than ov- others, obviously. But, you know, yeah, you know, I th- I think it's got to be equal parts funny and sad. You mm-hmm. know, uh, I think that everyone kind of has the uh, people think it's like, you know, that's where you get a whole bunch of these people who sing like they just got off like a sharecropping like plantation or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, like hipster indie folk you know mm-hmm. sort of thing that's going on right now where everyone talks like you know like Mumford and Sons or like Lumineers you know what i'm saying yeah sort of sort of that non-existent uh nostalgia aspect of folk. yeah yeah and and, and what they're really trying to do is they're trying to process this like longing feeling that they have and they're you know projecting it on this like character of this like lonely fucking, like, farmhand or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, the thing is, like like you said, that dude doesn't fucking exist, right? <clears throat> or if he does, he, like, doesn't have the fucking time to be singing about this shit. And so, but what they don't understand is what they should be writing about... Is this person in like the modern day, you know, feeling these things because that's what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. It's not a caricature of like what they think this emotion is embodied by, you know, they are that emotion and they are embodying it. And like, you know, you don't have to wear like, you know, suspenders and like, you know, uh, fucking what are those uh wingtip, boot, wing-tip shoes? Whatever,
1: <laughs> yeah those boots
0: you know and like fucking paperboy hats to sing this shit you know so i think that people distill emotions into these like neat little categories and then they build their sort of, you know, caricature out of that when in reality, you know, you have to be more, you have to accept emotions as complex things, you know. Even really sad things, you know, have humorous elements to it, you know. It's like gallows humor. Mm-hmm. Or like, um you know, nothing is just sad, you know, and nothing is just happy. And, you know, it's just like, you know, things just kind of are. Right. Uh, so that's like something that I definitely wanted to get to, you know, with the record. Every one of those songs has like something kind of funny in it, I think.
1: Right. Uh, you know, Definitely. And that's what, sort of when I mentioned the wit coming in. Um, and I think I think that's very interesting you say that sort of that. Um, it kind of touches back onto that authenticity aspect sort of um, instead of, uh, grandizing these emotions into something so elaborate, sort of being authentic about sort of the confusing aspects o- about it. And I think you do that quite well.
0: I like what you said about grand, uh, grandizing these, uh, these emotions. You know, that's like another thing, you know, an emotion is a powerful thing if you can, you know, bring it out in public and relate it to people and have people, you know, relate to your emotion or whatever. You know, but ultimately, like, you have to accept that, you know, on a personal level, your emotions are fucking inconsequential. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I feel sad, that, like, doesn't mean shit, you know, to anyone else pretty much but me. You know what I mean? You know, your friends will care for, like, a little while at the time until they get exhausted of, you know, caring. And at that point, like, you need to either, like, you know, accept that you're going to be a sad person with no friends. You need to stop being, like, sad. You know, same thing about being happy, you know, if you're like super happy all the time, you're going to annoy the fuck out of people.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you sort of touch on something that I've been toying with that sort of happiness and sadness, uh, I wouldn't consider emotions, I would consider states of being sort of underlying yeah. your life, and then you have your daily emotions on top of that. So if you can be happy and then frustrated at the same time, and you can be sad and have a laugh. It's sort of these different modes of being.
0: Yeah, you know, abs- absolutely. And like, you know you know, and I don't I don't even think they're like things that you necessarily even have to be uh cognizant of. You know, sometimes they're just things that happen when you're not looking.
1: Right. And I think that sort of complexity does come out in your EP, which is why I think it's so fantastic. And um Um, Cerebral yet accessible at the same time Um, And that's always the type of music I appreciate Um, And moving on into this uh, Your recording process now You're currently working on your next EP You're toying with the idea Or the name Mess California uh, And you called it a seven song hallucination So can you talk a bit about that?
0: The uh, Mess California is um, You know what is, right? Yes Right, okay, so you know Mess California just happened to be like a really interesting, you know, I was, I was kind of like writing this like California odyssey, you know, Mm -hmm. um, not really knowing anything about California, just, um, you know, kind of thinking about it. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how it started. I, uh, like I fucking hate the Beach Boys. (laughs) Um, I would tell people that and then like immediately they would like challenge me on it. Like. How could you hate the Beach Boys? Like, da-da-da-da-da. Like, so like I decided to qualify myself by uh I was like, fine, fuck it. I'm only gonna listen to the Beach Boys for six months. And then I'm going to go I'm gonna write an entire EP, uh, you know, seven songs inspired by the Beach Boys, and then I'm gonna record this EP and I'm gonna distribute it. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna like and I'm like gonna put some serious eggs into this basket, you know. So it's essentially a very expensive joke right now. Oh, and, and another thing was like, I didn't want, you know, I didn't want to like, you know, I mean, it still has like the some dynamic, you know, as far as it has like a vibe and like a feeling and it's a concept album, it like sort of tells this story about, uh, you know, it's kind of exploring California through like a long distance relationship or whatever that, uh, you know the like it's kind of imagined the whole thing is like kind of a hallucination so the last album ends with uh i dreamed i lost my girl right and this album is that dream you know interesting yeah the end of that of mess california loops back to the beginning of uh the love songs for the contemporary listener oh okay and I'm thinking actually that I'm going to re record a couple songs on Love Songs for the Contemporary Listener. And I am going to re release them. Uh, and this new one is a double album. So. That's
1: really awesome how that ties into it. Sort of the, as we mentioned, the reality of love. And then now this sort of imagined love. Uh, which, which again ties back into this sort of, uh, social media envisioning sort of, that's sort of where that love ties in.
0: Right. So that's exactly how it's supposed, how it was supposed to be, you know. You know, but also, you know, this album is, um, way more. It, it's like literally, like it's like a, it's a total departure from like the first one. It's like straight up a, uh, a hallucination you know it's like it takes you to a totally different sort of headspace um where it has it plays with a totally different palette you know there are lots of uh we just recorded a full horn section for it um we're doing a whole string section in a a few days we're uh what is the date now on the fourth so saturday we're going into arrange the string section you know, it has like a whole bunch of like Wurlitzer and Hammond, organ on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, the whole thing, it has this like, it's supposed to be really pleasant and really unsettling at once. Mm. You know, so it takes some themes from the first album and it injects them into this like really pleasant sonic sphere, which makes it a really kind of uncomfortable sort of thing to listen to. I just kind of wanted to make an album a little less serious and a little more funny Mm -hmm. than the last one, but with also like a cultural critique, you know, kind of like a grass is greener sort of thing, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because everyone is like, everyone really likes to qualify things with like how relatable they are and, you know, how emotional they are and like you know, how much they can take out of it and apply to their life. And not every fucking thing has to be like that. You know, some things don't, you know, aren't good just because they can help. They help you deal, you know, with something.
1: Right. Sort of the opposite of that sort of viewing, uh, the perspective of another sort of not putting yourself in someone like understanding someone else when you know, you can't relate which I think it's interesting. And sort of the way this is sounding sort of sounds like pet sounds, uh, a a satire of pet sounds turn into sort of this intriguing homage, which I think is incredible.
0: Yeah, no, it's pretty much, that's pretty much exactly what this is. Yep. Well, there we go.
1: Well, um, that's really incredible. I look forward to uh, listening to it. Um, I have a few more questions sort of to wrap up. What, uh, do you have a dream collaboration that you sort of would like to, uh if you could uh sort of do.
0: A dream collaboration. Mm. Right.
1: So this could be an artist, this could be a producer, this can be this it could be anything. You could just who would you like to have dinner with um and sort of pick their mind.
0: Mm. Well that's a little different than who I would like to uh who I'd like to uh collaborate with. Um if I could have dinner with somebody I could have dinner with somebody, who would it be? If I could have dinner with somebody, uh, you know, I think it might be, uh, I think it might have to be, uh, Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it would have to be like, I would have to go into it. We'd both at least have to have had a couple of drinks. So <laughs> like there was like some guard down uh-huh. and like, you know, her publicist would not be able to be there It'd just have to be like a very honest dinner with Taylor Swift. I think that would be super fucking interesting. Um, in like a really weird robotic sort of way. Um,
1: hmm, sort of viewing the, uh, the human behind the construction.
0: Huh? That's interesting. Yeah. I guess if there is one anymore, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh-huh. um, one of my friends uh you know she got in this position where she was hanging out with uh Britney Spears for some reason <laughs> and all of uh and she said when Britney Spears walked in it was like you know the and it was like a one-on-one thing it wasn't like a meet and greet it was like a business sort of thing and she goes well all of Britney Spears you know she was super nice but you could tell that she did not have a single, you know, one of her own thoughts in her head at all. She was just like basically a mannequin sort of just kind of being moved and being like told what to do and like, you know, th- I mean like robotica uh-huh. and shit, you know. Um, so I wonder if it would be like that. I don't, I, I don't like to think that it would be like that. I'd like to think that she was like, you know – still had something like left dinner but you know i don't I, I don't know I'm, i've never met taylor swift i will never meet taylor swift you know it's just i think it'd be an interesting person to have dinner with
1: but that that's interesting um sort of the the way pop fame could get to someone on a human level um being sort of a a carcass of your old self um so that's very interesting and i think that that i would definitely want to see sort of uh a study on that Um, so moving into my last question, this one's a bit esoteric. What's next for you both personally and as an artist?
0: You know, I haven't really thought about it too much. You know, I, I I want to move. I think I want to find a wife, you know, I got, you know, (laughs) that's what I want to do. I I want, I want to get married, you know, just, just cut out the whole dating thing and not have to worry about it. Then I think I'd be able to write some real good songs. You know, musically, we're just trying to get this, uh, this album done, you know, uh, working with new management, you know, trying to get uh, these uh, things together and, uh, you know, move forward. Bigger shows, bigger releases, bigger everything, you know, fire sale.
1: That was my great conversation with Hayden Samick, otherwise known as Deadfellow. And with that, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to thank Hayden for being a fantastic guest and letting us play his music on the show. I'd also like to thank the Good Goodvice for providing us with our fantastic theme song, Keep It Coming. We'll link you up in the description to Deadfellow's music and social media. For more features on indie music, go to IndieBeatMusic.com. If you like what you hear, please write and review us on iTunes, and subscribe to get the episode first. If you want to follow us on social, we're at IndieBeatMusic on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at info at IndieBeatMusic.com. We have a special episode coming up next week, so stay tuned for that. Let's just say you want to tune in right when the episode is released. Other than that, I think that covers it. I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks again for listening. I'm Josh Berneda. I'll see you next time. Have a good one.